Hello, welcome along to Baffled. It's the podcast that takes all the most amazing facts that we can find and decides whether they are truly awesome or secretly utter nonsense, uh, like proper trash stuff. Uh, my name is Dan. Thank you so much for finding us, giving us a listen. I have three facts for you today. Some facts about words and definitions and an etymology, which I know Mark is going to love and Connor is going to loathe. Uh, I've also got facts about cash which Connor might be a bit bit keener on. Uh, Connor, what have you bought for us? Yes, gentlemen. So, finally, how to talk to the dead. If you are a barista, you need to up your game. And why are all famous people friends? Like, that is actually a genuine question. I enjoyed the acting in that. And finally, uh, why are all famous people friends? Uh, Let's see how Mark's acting game is. What have you got for us? I wasn't prepared for this. I haven't come ready for the acting but it's fine we'll just put on a face uh, two animal facts for you this week roosters and horses coming up also the accident of play-doh oh i love play-doh it's the best stuff ever oh, let, oh, let's let's get on with some more facts shall we it's a brand new baffled podcast stay there but Connor, you have been big on trying to be sponsored and getting influ- being an influencer for a while now. Uh, you have never referenced Play-Doh in your, your desperate quests to get someone to pay you money to advertise things on Instagram. I haven't been trying too hard. I just, I, I think a social presence uh, in the modern day is important. Mark, if you were going to be sponned by uh, anything, what would it be? Um, sun cream. Sun cream, that is very useful. I need enough so that I can bathe in it every morning, being ginger and whatnot. Um, you know me, I'm an absolute fitness influencer. You've seen my body. I'm absolutely shredded. So clearly it would be a brand like Adidas or Nike. You know, those those are the kind of people that would sponsor me because if you can imagine me right now, listeners, imagine the really fit, really hench fitness influencers. It's not that. It's like a skinny, scrawny version of that with a little bit of a beer belly. But I think that's that's the realistic face of fitness right there. Your pecs always stand out to me. I feel like you've got good pecs. 
can't wait to get back in the studio with you. I think we should move this on before it becomes a different podcast. That's how you host. Uh, Connor, what's your first fact? Right, so Japan has a phone to call the dead. You love a Japanese fact. Last week, Japanese and hole in ones. Today, Japan and phoning the dead. If you are looking for like mental, mental, mental stuff, Japan, I feel, answers that. All the things you want to do in life that you just think, nah, Japan does it. But yeah, they've now got a phone to call the dead. I feel like Japan is the kind of country where you're right. They just kind of go, we could do that. Well, let's do it then. Whereas other countries go, we could do that. Don't be stupid. That would be a silly idea. Japan goes, we'll do it. Got a little bit of like stuff to it. So it's a public phone booth. Um... And, you know, which is a rare site, obviously. You don't really get many of them that are working. But there's one located in a Japanese hilltop garden that's especially unusual. It's called the Wind Phone. And it was created by a man named Aturu Sasaki, who thought that it would be a nice healing mechanism for people, a way to talk to maybe a cousin who passed away or, you know, a family member, even if the conversation was one-sided. I mean, which it probably would be. Um, others now also use the phone in order to feel closer to their late loved ones, which I think is actually a really nice thing. So it's the wind that's making the sound like it's dead people. Maybe, yeah, but I think it's just more of a psychological thing. You know, it's like you go up there, you know, if, you, if you're grieving, for example, you know how people, this is actually quite a nice fact as well. You know how people like go to graves and things like that and you, you sit and you talk. Some people talk to their loved ones that have passed away. This is kind of a psychological imagination that you're on the phone to maybe a loved one um, and you're, you're having a phone conversation with them and explaining your thoughts and maybe miseries, which I think is a really nice thing. I've got one question. What's the point? So I've just Googled it. Let me give you a bit of background on this because I think it gives it a bit more depth. So it's in the small town of Otsuchi in northern Japan where 2,000 residents were lost in the tsunami of 2011. Oh, well, tell me that before I say something like that. Come yeah, on. Yeah, well, that's just you, though, Dan, isn't it? No, you know, well, like. Tell me that before I realised it's like a massive a place full of catastrophe. Even if it was nothing to do with the tsunami, yeah, the, the fact that you can pick up the phone and psychologically and in your imagination pretend you're speaking to a loved one is a lovely thing, regardless of what caused death. It was built as a memorial to that with the idea of placing. Uh, it's a disconnected rotary phone. So you ring the number of the, you know, you ring the original number of the person who died and the words would be carried on the wind, hence wind phone, apparently. Yeah, and he he done it because he lost his cousin in the tsunami as well. Why have you not told us this before? This is the interesting bit. No, because, because I was just, I was getting into it, you know, we was just talking about it. But Dan, I feel like your comment just, you know, sums up your views on things. You can't go back now, bud. Uh, no, I'm, I am fully behind the fact that if it was just like a random phone in a random town where nothing's really happened and it's just there so odd people, well, some the odd person, not odd people, the odd person can go and use it. I just feel that you could do that. Um, like, it's fine that there's a phone, but you could just do that at a gravestone. But the fact is, it's this place where there's been this mass tragedy. So it's more like a, a piece of art for the community rather than any, anything like that. It, it's more like community therapy. And if you had told me right that right at the start... I wouldn't have come across so heartlessly. Yeah, but I also think as well, it's like, yeah, the, the heartlessness is a bit deep on your behalf. But also as well, you have to look at it as like, it's just a nice thing. Like my, my nan, for example, my, when her mum passed away, who was my great nan at like 96, she had a photo next to her bed and she used to speak to the photo every night and tell the photo her worries and anxieties and things like that. And I think that this is the same sort of concept 
of course, linked to the tsunami, which is amazing. But this is just a nice thing anyway. Well, I get the fact if it's a photo or a locket or something very sentimental, like I understand being there at night, being in bed, having a chat with your mum who sadly died. I understand that. Before I learned about the tsunami, uh, it's like, why, why do you need to kind of walk up to this garden to do that? That's what I'm saying. What's the point? But no, I just think it's like a, maybe a therapy, like it says of some sort. I, I think like this is a, a nice concept that maybe we could bring into other, you know, people who are dealing with grief and maybe grieving and things like that. It's, it's a nice thing. Do you not agree, Mark? It's quite a nice little concept, yeah, isn't it? it's a place where you can go and have that. It's kind of like a quiet room, isn't it, effectively? But with like a, it's, yeah. it gives you a belief that you're doing something a little bit more than just going, all right, mate, I know you're up there somewhere. It's a little bit more of like a right. I'll go. I'll give him a call, and it's a bit just a bit more in intricate, not intricate, uh, intimate. I think it's a really cool fact because I actually read it, and it was one of the only facts in the whole time of doing this episode where I've read and thought that's really nice. I like that. I am with Dan though. You did sell it very badly that you didn't mention it was about tsunami victims. Yeah, well, you know, we're not the best. We're all the same. We all sell the facts pretty badly. Um, it's meant to be a funny fact podcast, and now we've started with that. How are we gonna? How are we gonna pick us up to have some laughs? There's, there's no part of us that says that we are a funny we're fact podcast. We're comedy. Mate. We are in the comedy charts. You send us the picture of the comedy chart to the group WhatsApp every yeah. other day. Oh, it's nice that you found the fact that you've actually enjoyed though and brought. To the I podcast. have enjoyed. I thought it was very nice. I think we need to bring the pitching of our voices a bit down. Mark, what's your first fact of the pod? Roosters have built-in earplugs. Right, there we go. You see, all of a sudden now we're back to the level we need to be at. So roosters obviously make a heck of a lot of noise. So a rooster's call can reach 140 decibels or louder. But to save roosters going deaf from the noise itself, what researchers have found is that when a rooster opens its beak to crow, its external auditory canals, i.e. its ears, close off presenting sound from coming in. So they essentially have built-in earplugs that when they realise, oh, I'm going to make a heck of a lot of noise here doing a rooster call, they just shut their own ears off so they don't have to listen to it. Great science. Love that science. It's kind of the same concept as like when you go like clay pigeon shooting or to a, like a gun range, you have to earplug because of loud noises. Essentially, yeah. So, like, uh, so to give you an idea, so 140 decibels is what a rooster's call is. Mm-hmm. A jet plane at takeoff is 150 decibels. So that's how loud a rooster's call is. Hence why if you're near a farm, you're absolutely going to hear it and it's going to wake you up and it's going to annoy you. I've never, ever heard a rooster, ever. You're very much a city boy though, aren't you? Never in my life. I'd love to. I feel like it's something that I want to experience in my life. It's quite cool as well. And I think the funny thing is about it, it's a rooster. Little rooster. Rooster. A rooster. I just imagine it like these little roosters. It's just brilliant. I love all that animal stuff. Good fat, Mark. I enjoy it. It makes me smile after what was quite a, yeah, understand a low start. The only way is up at least. How much of the world's money do you reckon actually exists physically in cash and coins? Not a lot. Mm, Correct. But how much is not a lot? Maybe like 10%. I'll go lower. I reckon about 3%. Yeah, kind of split the difference. 8%. Only 8% of the world's currency exists in physical money and the rest is just held on computers. Wow. Now, I love this because like the, the world completely, like every bit of money is IOU, isn't it? So um, it kind of doesn't need to exist physically. Like the, the money is baffling. Like if you read, if you read on a, a British £5 note, it says like something like, 
I promise to give the bearer of this five pounds. And I love the fact that that was once an actual IOU, but then someone else said, well, I've got this IOU from this dude. I'll give it on to you. And then that became the way things are done. Really? Yeah. It's it's kind of money just sort of became that, that bartering system, didn't it? Where it used to be, as you said, I mean, going back in the day, it used to be camels or grain or whatever. Back it's just a way of day. just having something back in the day. It's just a way of having something. So, and, and I think to be honest, that 8% is going to get less and less and less. I mean, how often do you use cash nowadays? No, I don't use it at all. But it's just amazing that that bartering system, then people stopped actually caring about getting the thing that they were owed. Is money gold? Wow. No, gold has a monetary value. Yeah, so what, what is money like? As in how, so in a way of like, when you of course, print money and they print new money, how do they know how much to print? Where does the value of how much they print come from? Because th- that I, does I confuse me I feel like we've spoken about bit. this on the podcast before. So you yeah, like don't where would you just... turn around and go, right, we need a thousand fifties. So you do that by taking old money out of circulation and putting new money back in. Right. So money is never just created unless you do something which is called quantitative easing. So quantitative easing is an economic measure to kind of help when there's a recession. So you may see because of the coronavirus pandemic, which I don't know if you've heard about, it's going to be big guys. Um, you may see that something like, you know, quantitative easing may come in because of that just to help out with economies. But you never just print money and go, right, let's just create a million new pounds today and put that into the economy because that weakens your economy. Of course. Uh, or it can weaken your economy. So uh, instead, if they're printing new money, it's because they're taking money out of circulation or they are, pres- or they are creating money for what is digital. So you never just, you never just go, right, there's now a million more pounds in the world. See what it's been a big start, hasn't it? We've we've you know we've gone in strong. This is there's no comedy here. We're going to be in the educational charts again. Back in the day, America at least. I'm not sure whatever other countries did it. They would back up the, the, their currency with an amount of gold bullion that they had locked away. So they had an actual gold supply for pretty much all the dollars that they had, and they take they took that away in the early 70s. So they did so they could you know, make more money without having to constantly mine this gold. And the other days, oh, it's getting very much, isn't it? Oh, it's getting much. Yeah. So this is appeasing. There was one guy who left a review the other week who went, this is a fact podcast, but, which is good. I'm giving it three stars for the facts, but I can get through a 40 minute podcast in 15 minutes. I don't want the banter. Well, good. That long bit was just for you. Say something about your shitty bowels. No, yeah, I'm not definitely not doing that. I'll tell you what I am going to do, though. I'm going to ask you a question. How many cappuccinos do you think somebody's made in an hour? I don't like giving a value on these guesses because I'm either going to be way too low and look like an idiot or I'm going to be way too high and ruin your fact. Well, you just done it with your fact, you tit. <laughs> you tit. A barista, come on, a barista. What do you think is the most amount of coffees that a barista has made in one hour? Are they making one coffee at a time? They're, they're making cappuccinos. At a time, so it's not like they've got... No, a million cappuccino machines and they're just running around pressing a button. One machine, one coffee maker. I'm going to say... In an hour. 120 to a minute. Cool. But but, uh, what's the standard? It's really easy and difficult, mate. This is something that... No, it's really not hard, mate. Just say a number. How good is the cappuccino? Are they taking time or are they making it specifically to break an award? You know what? I'm just going to get on with the fact because you're irritating. No, no, no. let 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 me just say... So, are they doing it to make a beautiful coffee or are they doing it to try and crack through as many as they want because i reckon it would take someone to make a good cappuccino it's taking someone about a minute absolutely it would not take a minute they were making coffees for the public 
Yeah, if you go to Starbucks or something, it's taking you about. How is how? I think you're the only human being on the whole planet that would have a five minute discussion about a very simple question. We've got marks 120. Right. So I think maybe 40 seconds at a push, which means it's between I between. Just say a number. 60 and 120. I reckon about 90. Okay, 420. Ah, that's rubbish cappuccinos, aren't they? Right, no. So basically, her name's Lisa Thomas. She's an Australian woman who set the world record. This is a Guinness world record as well. And she made 420 cappuccinos in one hour. Uh, Lisa's attempt had the added pressure of taking place in public with fellow colleagues and cafe goers watching her every move and enjoying the cappuccinos, which were given away as she made them. She made 420 cappuccinos in her cafe in one hour. That is mental. That's like seven a minute. I mean, I've, I've, I used to work on a, a coffee machine way back in the day and it, it is quick. Like you can make a cappuccino in about 10 seconds. You can do that. And I guess you can kind of froth the milk and then go one, two, three, rather than doing one thing. Exactly. Out of like one milk froth, you can get like four cups of coffee if you've got a big enough jug. But that is incredible. 420 cups of coffee. That is crazy. I just think with these records, they need to have someone to judge how good the thing is. Oh, it's, it's got to be a cappuccino. And what defines a cappuccino is the level of froth, you know, so you can't... If it's, if it's a naff coffee, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're making one every nine seconds, if it's a naff coffee. No, but what I'm saying is, is it's a cappuccino that she's making. You're not going to publish a Guinness World Record if she was actually just steaming hot milk and pouring it in. A cappuccino is a cappuccino because of the froth, because the amount of froth that's there... That's what defines a cappuccino. What and that I'm is talking what about stated. is there needs to be a taste level. And you are the coffee connoisseur of the podcast. There needs to be, like, you should have to taste it and think, you know what? That's good coffee. I like that Not coffee. Not necessarily. It doesn't say she made 420 t- amazing tasting cappuccinos. Which she just I made 420 it caps. It should be. This is my point. Mark, please help me. I mean, I've, I'm, I can see both sides here. Because otherwise, like when I did the Taylor Swift record, yes, I am bringing it up again. When I did the Taylor Swift record, I couldn't just, you know, name, just name words and hope that it was a thing. They had to be the songs that they did. Like where she could just, that's not what this is. She could just be chucking coffee and foam together and then, oh, that's a cappuccino. What counts as cappuccino? Some places I go to, I get a cappuccino and it comes out more like a latte. I'm like, oh. Yeah, but also as well, this is like saying someone fried, you know, a thousand eggs in an hour. It doesn't mean that the egg is you know, the perfect fried egg. It's just, it's a fried egg. Would you eat it? It might not be your cup of tea. It might be a little bit too done, my, but my you guess fried is, an egg. Yeah, my guess is it has to be classed as a cappuccino. It doesn't have to necessarily be the amazing cappuccino, but it has to be classed as a cappuccino. Exactly. What's the like, classification of a cappuccino? Uh, For me, coffee it's the and level. froth level. Frothed milk, yeah. But it's subjective though, isn't it? No. No, there, there will be a definitive definition of it for a world record. How much froth milk does it need, Connor? Mate. Not a lot, really. You know, I, I, it really does. It, it doesn't need a lot. I, I don't really drink cappuccinos, but when I've made them, not a lot. But the fact that what I'm trying to say is, is it says here, a barista set a world record for making 420 cappuccinos, which obviously states, because it's a Guinness world record, which is a licensed world record, whatever it is, that they're obviously cappuccinos. It didn't say 420 cups of coffee. That'd be different, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but how did they know every single one of the 420 was... A cappuccino, maybe, as Mark said, maybe one that's a, like a flat white has slipped through. Because as she was making it, they were obviously, mate, we've set Guinness World Records. I mean, they're pretty on it. I mean, that woman, when we done it, was on it. Like, you know, they're not just 
oh, oh, look, my one's for the football badges. Oh, you said Birmingham, but you know, you meant Chelsea. You get that one. Like, you know, he's on it. I don't think even she has spoken about this world record as much as we have. <laughs> You're a flat white softie, aren't you? I've had three today already and it's only half 12. Ridiculous. The worst incarnation of the coffee. Because my caffeine levels get high and my heart palpitates. And then you shit everywhere. And I just need to sip some water and let Mark take it away. Mark, give us your second fact. Play-Doh was invented as... What is that? Ah, just getting that hydration for the next time Dan comes at me. Oh, define a cappuccino. It's like, mate, seriously, do you want to mean define a cappuccino? It's a coffee with a bit of froth, bruv. Do you know what I mean? Last week after we finished recording, I went back out into the office and someone said something which was a fact and I went, define it! Define the fact for me! I was like, you can tell I've just come off the back of a baffled recording that I immediately want more information. I, I enjoy your company. I, I, you know, I like being with you. And then you come out with these things and I'm, I could literally kill him. I'm like, well, define a cappuccino. It's like, Dan, mate, stop. <laughs> it's because I'm very keen. I understand that we're, we're, we've chosen, a, a made a rod for our own backs here by doing a fact podcast. Where oh, I know. Th- there are limited facts in the world. But I'm really, you know, world record facts. Come on. Come on, we could be here all day. Oh, some man wants a swordfish in two seconds. Oh, baffling or not. Can we just move on, please? Because I honestly, I'm getting PTSD. You're not getting PTSD. <laughs> oh, you're one of these millennials that just says stuff. Play-Doh was invented as wallpaper cleaner. Sick. Oh, I love this. Tell me more. So Play-Doh was initially invented to remove soot and dirt. Soot and dirt. Soot. From wallpaper. In fact, antique restorers still use it to this day for refurbishing antique pieces. What is that word? Soot. Soot. How'd you spell that? S double O T. S double O T. Like, is it double O? As in two O's next to each other. Double O. It's black stuff that comes, the black ash really that comes out of a chimney. Yeah. It's like a dingleberry. What? It looks like a dingleberry. What do you mean? It's not one thing. A bit. Oh, right. Okay. Soot is like dust. It's dust you get from pretty much from when you burn stuff from out of a chimney yeah. normally. So it doesn't, it's, it's like... What is a dingleberry? Oh, okay. Here we go. <clears throat> so the, uh, the definition of a dingleberry is when you go to the poo and <laughs> pieces of poo, <laughs> pieces of poo attach, attach to your bum hair and dry <laughs> up, that is defined as a dingleberry. But anyway, Mark, um, yeah, go on, tell me more. Oh, no, I can't. And then eventually, in 1954, Play-Doh was officially recognised as a toy. I love Play-Doh. I always loved Play-Doh. I love the smell of it. Did you know the smell is actually um, patented? Or patented? Oh, really? So nothing else can smell like it? Yeah, it's got trademark on it, that smell. Do you reckon a lot of things do that? Like, I always find, like, when you open, like, a book, there's a book smell. Like, I'd love that as a cologne. I tell you what, I am conscious that I perhaps went hard on your last fact. So in order to make it up for you, I know that you want to be a, a Play-Doh influencer. Yeah. You've got, I'm going to give you like a minute or so now where you just need to run with it and, and explain and give your pitch for why Play-Doh should uh, spawn you. Hey, I'm Connor. Um, I'm 25 years old. And those 25 years, I've always loved Play-Doh. Uh, I don't really know why I love Play-Doh so much. I think it's to do with the smell, which I understand is patented. The word, carry on. the word, Mark. Carry on, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, um, and uh, the, the the smell when you're playing with it and what you can make out of it, and also find that it 
it helps with stress play-doh, you know. Um, and I think I'd be a great ambassador for the brand because I believe in the brand. I use the brand and I'll tell people about the brand. You get me? I don't say the word the brand anymore. How would you, as a 25-year-old person who doesn't really talk about Play-Doh much with his mates because it's not something that 25-year-olds do, how would you make Play-Doh relevant on socials for other people your age who we want to sell our Play-Doh to? I would just get a naked woman and rub her in Play-Doh. Jesus, okay. Okay, great. <laughs> and just like that, Play-Doh never talked to you again. Yeah, fair enough. It's the Rupert Murdoch of the Play-Doh world. Um, obviously, when you file a trademark, so when they trademarked the um, smell, you've got to put a definition in of it. How would you define the smell of Play-Doh? Play-Doh? Oh. It, it just is Play-Doh, isn't it? Um, dingleberries. <laughs> it, it smells kind of... Um, well, it's plasticine, isn't it? It smells kind yeah, of... Yeah, it smells quite industrial, but also like new. Yeah. I would say. Like you can... You can you, I think I think what's important about it is that like as a kid maybe you'd smell it and know that you shouldn't eat it. But you kind of want to. You kind of want to eat it because of the feel of it, but I think the smell makes you believe that it's a bit like plasticky, so maybe you shouldn't. A very very astute point. So this is the this is the official definition of the smell. Sweet, slightly musky vanilla fragrance with slight overtones of cherry mixed with the smell of salted wheat-based dough. That's someone's job. Someone's job. That sounds like that, something yeah. you'd read on the back of a wine bottle. Yeah, that's a job's worth, isn't it? Who's come up well, with you've that? Got, you've got to put a proper definition in when you do a trademark. Yeah, but who, who describes Play-Doh smells? Woody. Woody was never in there. Oh, was it not? I just I think I, I thought I heard <laughs> it. Right. It's my third fact of the podcast. This is going to be nice and quick, by the way, because, you know, it's just one of those things that I don't think there's too much discussion about it. We discuss uh, it enough now. Just get on with it. The term out of, a, out of the blue comes from lightning strikes, which happen out of clear blue skies. That's fine, isn't it? Does that happen? Apparently, yeah. I've seen a video of it. Lightning strikes out of nowhere on a sunny day in Florida, because I think it actually comes from the term bolt from the blue. I don't, I don't, it's like... They've used the terminology of something that like, never happens. Well, that's the point of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, but actually, yeah, that's the point of it, isn't it? Out of the blue. <laughs> that is literally the point. That is literally the point. Yeah. If it was like out of the grey, cloudy, thunderstormy skies, it, then it would be like, oh, yeah, I've seen, I see you all the time. But out of the blue means it's yeah. rare, which is what the phrase means. So, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I just that. clocked when I was saying it. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I never knew that. It hasn't blown me away, but it's an interesting fact that I definitely didn't know. I can tell you that. And I doubt mm. a lot of people would know that. Well, you will remember it. I will remember it. I'm, I'm happy that I now know that. The next time someone says it, I'll be like, hey, that means when it comes out the sky, baby. Maybe. I can't even remember how many of these stupid cappuccinos this woman made. So you'll remember that one today. Cheers, how many? 420. 420 average cappuccinos. Hi, I'm Laura Wright, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Music In My Life. In this series, I'm talking to some amazing guests about their favourite pieces of music. We'll be delving into the music they listen to and why it shaped them throughout the years. It's like intense. It made me feel cooler and stronger and harder than I was. But the man on board had, had cancer. And that's obviously become a big part of my life. I can listen to it now, reminding myself where I've come from. He just completely lost it as we pulled up to the, to the hospital. You can find it wherever you found this podcast. Just search Music In My Life. Connor, give us your third and final fact of the podcast. 
Third and final fact, Justin Timberlake's mum became Ryan Gosling's legal guardian when they were 12. So Ryan's mother had to stay in Canada while he filmed with the Mickey Mouse Club. So Justin's mother became his legal guardian and the pair lived together for six months. Now, the reason I've brought this fact to the pod, because I wanted to discuss this with you, I've always thought this. Do you feel that all like major, major celebrities just all know each other from something they've done once upon a time? It's like this weird like cult thing. Well, they all kind of... Yeah, but, they all, but that makes sense in, in any job, doesn't circles, it? Aren't they? It's, it's no, like no, no, the- it's not about a job. I'm talking like you're talking the most famous people like Bieber would have known like DiCaprio like they from back in like... I don't know, like, oh, my mum was friends with his dad. It's like they all just know each other, all the most famous people, but from before they were famous. It's really weird. Well, so there's a few answers to that, I reckon. One is just because, like, before the job or when they were up training, they would have come through together. So that's one of them. And also quite a lot of it, I'd imagine, is quite nepotistic because Pardon? quite a lot of it is quite nepotistic. So Wait, Yeah, sorry? <laughs> okay. Um, Nep- uh, like family and, friends, family, and friends, family and friends get you jobs. So right, that's, got that's you. quite a lot of it. Why you think that quite a lot of famous people know each other is because they probably do know each other. Their family and friends know each other, which is why they've then become famous because it's it's an easy thing for you to do because you know someone who is there getting you the job. Right. So yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. I just always find that they all know each other I mean, if, somehow if, if you're in a really weird way. Circles, you know, it's the same that, you know, we, 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 we will know a lot of people in the podcast and radio circles because that's what we do. Yeah, no, no, yeah. But what I'm trying to say is I always, I think, I think what I'm, yeah, what I'm saying isn't making sense. Like, I always find that it's before the fame. So, of course, I now know people through the radio and podcast circle because of what we do, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But when you look back, it's like, it's like me going, oh, like I knew Dan because my mum was his dog sitter. This was okay, before yeah, it all. Yeah. I always find that that is the case with famous people in a really weird dimension. But to link that after the Ryan Gosling, um, Justin Timberlake fact is to go against your point because the reason they knew each other was because they were working together on the Mickey Mouse Club. Was they working together? Yeah. 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 So so that's how that's... Oh, I didn't know they were in that together. There we go. Yeah. And that's why he went and hung out with Justin Timberlake because they were both living together because they're both doing the same show. Did you know as well that Ryan Gosling got offered to be in the Backstreet Boys and said no? (laughs) That's mad. It's a good decision. Good decision. Can you imagine it? Backstreet Boys or Ryan Gosling's career? I know what I'd rather. I saw the Backstreet Boys live. Of course you did. I would love to have seen that videos of Mark. No, wait, hang on. Not the Backstreet Boys. Which one's NSYNC? That was the one Justin Timberlake was in, wasn't it? Yeah, NSYNC. I saw NSYNC live supporting S Club 7. So this is before anyone knew who the heck. What a day out that was for Mark's 18th birthday. No, this was at least my 21st. Come on. I love all those like 90s boy bandy vibe things. It's just You've modelled great. your hair on them, haven't you? Mark, give us your third and final fact of the podcast. A group of horses will not go to sleep at the same time. At least great. one of them will stay awake to look out for the others. Horses sleep standing up as well. There you go. Bonus fact for you. Yeah, so you don't actually know if they're sleeping because they look like they're awake because they're standing still. How how weird is that? I mean, yes, but it's... Do they do I'm, sleep I'm, lying I'm, down yeah, as well? Yeah, I'm fairly certain they sleep lying down. I think they like nap standing up. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, they're having, a, they're having an afternoon kip. Yeah, but one they of do them... standing up. One of them will always be standing up because one of them will always be awake. They are the lookout 
Isn't that a nice horse? I hate horses, but isn't that a nice horse thing? I'd be a good watcher. If you could pick one of us out of us three to be awake and alert, who would it be? Well, not you. Not you. You've got, you would you've get got a worse pension plan than me. No, I'd be, I'd be, okay, I'd be, but I'd be the one that would approach the danger. Well, yeah, exactly. And then you'd leave us exposed. No, I'd go deal with it. You wouldn't even know it would have happened. You'd have a kid wake up and you'd be in safe environments because I fought off the bad guys. I would give Dan first watch. Oh, I don't know. I've got a terribly short attention span. I mean, I think the, the bottom line here is that if we're in a situation where one of us has to stay out on watch, we're just screwed. That's pretty much it. Because yeah. you would get distracted, Connor. Dan, you've yeah. got too short of an attention span and you just stop doing it. And I would just rather sleep. So really, we're all dead. How do they discuss that? How do they figure that out? <laughs> Through nays. What paper shoe on? Is, is that how nays... Um, is that how nays How do the work? horses ever agree anything? Like eyes to the left, nays to the right. Oh, we all voted no. Again. It's like that. It's like that fact that I had a little while ago about the crows telling each other that they don't like somebody. I feel like, like, I feel like Connor has skipped over what could potentially be the best joke of twenty-one episodes of Baffled. But it's fine, Connor. Sorry, go it's again. No, go again. No, say again. Say again. Say again. No, Mark. It's Mark, done. the card is done. yours. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. It's done and dusted now. I will not speak anymore unless you say it. How many? How much is a good cappuccino? Do you think? No. No. Shush. Edit the laughing, Mark. It'll make it seem good, mate. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's nice things to take us to our last part of the podcast. Uh, this is, again, quite a quick one, but a buttload is an actual measure. Love that. 500 litres. It comes from whiskey. It comes from sherry. Technically, it's called a butt cask, but it's a buttload. If you're talking about a buttload of anything, technically, you're talking about something that is 500 litres worth. Wow. That's a lot of butt. It's a lot of butt. That is a lot of butt. If you was a spy putting stuff up there, you can get a lot up there for 500 litres. With some like little sherry um, boondoggles or whatever they're called floating So down. can you buy like a measurer that is known as a buttload? 
Well, no, because it's a big cask. Oh, right. So it's Sorry, like I, a, a I imagined vat. it as like something that you add seasoning to like a spaghetti with. It's a, yeah, it's like a big vat, like a massive, massive cup that contains 500 litres. Wow, I never knew that. There we go. A buttload is an actual measurement. Incredible. I like, I th- I like that. There's, there's a few things like that, I think, that where it's become just colloquial, but it's, just, I think, jiffy. I think jiffy is an official measurement as well. Yeah, it's a tiny fraction of time. Where you're like, oh, we're back in a jiff. We're back in a jiffy. So here's the thing. This is, aside from uh, maybe a few, this is one of the facts where people will hear it and you will instantly, like, you will remember this and tell your mate. And yeah. it's come at, and it's come at the end, and people would have been put off with you fucking banging on about cappuccinos for an hour. No, that, that is a good fact. You should have opened with it, but that's your mistake, mate. Well, you opened with something about a load of dead people. Okay, right. Well, there we go. Look, you've got no heart again. And that is it for this week's baffled. Well, what have we learned? Um, well, apparently, I am heartless. Uh, also, if you want like a decent cappuccino, don't degrade yourself to go and see some rubbish record breaker over in Australia and also we can reveal that Connor is exclusively the world's first Play-Doh influencer how do you feel about that Con you passed the job I'm so excited there we go Uh, we will see you next week remember I've not spoken about this today Uh, if you want one of the limited range of baffled badges you need to just fire over a quick email proving that you're trying to get someone else to listen to the show Uh, send us evidence and your address where to send it all GDPR compliant I promise Uh, over to info at baffledpod.com that is info at baffledpod.com we're still after the most famous listeners as well aren't we Uh, info at baffledpod.com for that as well if you think you're the most famous person fire us over an email and you can give us follow on Instagram all of our handles uh, are in the episode notes so go and find us there and say goodbye Mark goodbye Mark and say goodbye Connor see you later gentlemen Connor is about to go and stick some Play-Doh in his very strange spy kit I will see you soon bye selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.